everybody, this is Dan Lobby. And this is Mary Kay Cabot. And this is our latest Orange and Browns Talk podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple uh, Podcasts, on Google Play, and on Spotify as well. Uh, search for Orange and Brown Talk podcast on Spotify, and I'll include a link as well to that in the post. I finally figured out how to do that. So uh, make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Um, Mary Kay, I put out a, uh, a call for questions today on Twitter for this podcast so let's just do that let's answer people's questions this will be a podcast of the people sounds good to me dan okay we're going to start with this one it comes from um michael okay so i've met this guy and i don't know how to say his last name unfortunately so i'm guessing here michael michael hogue um he was actually here in camp uh, oh yeah in camp he goes by at brown's beat on twitter yep uh so i met him nice guy and he wants to know who uh some surprise roster cut candidates could could be so i think that's a good place to start um and I think the one that probably stands out to us as, as this plays out over the week might be Seth DeVal. That, that might be the place to start as uh, you know, he hasn't been able to get on the field. He hasn't been able to stay healthy this camp. And, you know, Hugh Jackson didn't exactly give him a ringing endorsement the other day. No. When we asked him about Seth DeVal yesterday, he basically said, uh, you know, if there's somebody better, that somebody will make the team over him. He has not had an opportunity to see him, uh, although today he did have his helmet and, and shoulder pads on, and he did some running after practice. He did not participate in the practice. He has been suffering from quad injuries. He came back for a couple of days, then went back out again. They have some other tight ends on the roster that could make the team ahead of him. We've seen a lot of De- Devin Kajust, um he has become a hard knock superstar <laughs> and um and then of course there's Darren Fells who's more of a blocking tight end and David Njoku is the starter so heading into this camp I did not think that that Seth Devolve would be in any kind of trouble at all uh but this quad injury has him knocked back to the third team and they just haven't seen him and so right now he's in a little bit of dire straits yeah, I, I mean, you've got to assume, obviously, Njoku's going to make it. Fells is going to make it. So it really does come down to DeValve and, and probably Kajust, Um at least initially. You know, as we all know, when we talk about the roster, things change, you know, within 12 hours or 24 hours as, you know, teams make waiver claims and things like that. But um, I, I think those are probably the two guys that it comes down to. I mean, I think on talent it would have to be DeValve, but again, if they don't believe he's going to be on the field, maybe they do go with uh, with Kajust until they can find another option. Yeah, which I think it's unfortunate. I really like Seth DeValve, and I, I think that he's got talent. I think he's a good yeah. player, and I think he's shown that. And, you know, this would be a year for him to take that step up and uh, really show what he can do. Unfortunately, these guys have been talking. This has been a theme all week about you've got to be healthy. Availability is a very, very big thing for this team, or they're going to move on without you. This team wants to win, and uh, even Greg Williams was talking a lot today. We'll, we might get into this a little bit later about uh, yeah, Denzel. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, okay. Um, so Greg Williams today uh, kind of called out Denzel Ward, basically, 
for his what he called stupid tackling uh, and not protecting his body and you know trying to really wrap up and take down a 250 pound tight end when he's only really about 180 pounds himself he's had nagging injuries in camp Greg went on and on today uh, talking about how Denzel Ward they need him available he's got Antonio Brown coming up he's got Michael Thomas coming up the week after that (laughs) they cannot afford to have him on the sidelines he left that game with back spasms after he crumpled to the ground like a pretzel trying to make that tackle and um and they are not being easy on him about this. You know, it was in, I, saw, um, I saw somebody tweet, I think it was in reply to, to your tweet of your story, this Browns coaching staff is not shy about calling players out. <laughs> We've noticed that over the last few years. Of course, it started with, you know, John, going back to John Dorsey and, and his real players comment and kind of moving from there. Um, we've seen people in this organization, on this coaching staff, be pretty open to criticizing players like, like Greg Williams just coming out and saying calling Denzel Ward's tackling stupid it's it's a it's been sort of bizarre well they they strategically use the media I think in that way I mean they know exactly what they're doing not only are we out there the hard knocks cameras are there recording mm-hmm. every single word so they know that what they're saying right now is going to go on blast and I think that they're trying to send a message to Denzel Ward. Uh, number one, they need him to play through some of his injuries. Now, you know, they value guys that will play hurt. I mean, in the same breath, or in the next breath, after talking about Denzel Ward, uh, Greg Williams talked a lot about Miles Garrett and how he played through a high ankle sprain all last year and how it was such a bad sprain and so ugly that we we were never able to see it when it was like that because he had a boot on for two weeks but if we had seen it he said it would have shut most players down for the entire year so what what he's trying to say here is you know we cannot have you hobbling around on little nagging things you've got to do whatever it takes to take care of your body off the field and on the field to be on the football field it's one of those things rookies Kind of need to learn sometimes yeah. at the NFL level. Right. Um, let's move on here to another question. This comes from Chris King. Uh, he asks, who helped themselves the most through the preseason? Okay, so we're going to scour the roster here and try and come up with uh, with an answer. So we'll say preseason end camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, a name that I just came across that stands out to me is Damian Ratley. Mm-hmm. I think he's helped himself a lot um, at wide receiver. I think, you know, I think you can put him on the roster for sure at this point. Yeah, well, he's a draft pick, and you know you always uh, get a little extra consideration when you're a draft pick, especially when you come from the first draft of John Dorsey. Conversely, uh, it's going to be a strike against you if you were picked by Sashi Brown. I mean, it just is. These guys are are trying to come in here with a whole new regime and show that you know they're going to put their stamp on this football team. If you were uh, part of the regime that went 1 and 31 over the last 2 years you're going you know that is going to i think when they sit down and they try to make these final roster cuts i think that's going to weigh in i don't think they absolutely love and they've gone on record as saying they don't love uh, what went on here in the last couple of years in many cases so I think those guys have to be looking over their shoulder a little one guy that I would say uh, really has helped himself this camp and I didn't know heading in if he would make the team just because of the sheer numbers is Rashard Higgins Mm -hmm. I mean Rashard Higgins Baker Mayfield helped make him a star of, of camp he's caught every single thing that has come his way he has not missed a practice He's been very durable, very reliable, and always there catching the ball. 
and uh, again, I think he's kind of come from behind. I don't think he would have made the team necessarily unless some things happened in camp, including Corey Coleman getting traded, some injuries to Josh Gordon, injuries to Antonio Callaway. But he's one that has really climbed up the depth chart. Yeah, and I think his emergence kind of made the Corey Coleman trade a little easier mm-hmm. for this team to stomach. I, you know, I don't know the two are related, but it made it made making that deal, getting Corey Coleman out of here, easier to stomach. Uh, Jannard Avery's a guy mm-hmm. um, who was going to make the team again. It goes back to that draft pick thing, but um, you know he's certainly risen quickly up to the first team, and and he. You know he's going to make the linebacker numbers a little difficult now because now they've got five linebackers along with Michael Kendricks um, that, that they've got to sort through, and then you throw in a guy like James Burgess, so he kind of makes that interesting, that numbers game interesting. Yeah, he really does. I mean, you almost have to wonder if they won't just have almost like a category for edge rushers, pass rushers, because Jannard Avery has established himself as someone who can be very explosive off the edge, as we saw that the other night. Now, of course, unfortunately for him, and he fell into the uh, little injury doghouse today too, uh, Greg Williams talked about he's another one of those rookies that has to figure out how to stay healthy, not pull your muscles, and do whatever you possibly can uh, you know, not to get out there and have those soft t- tissue injuries. He's got a hamstring injury right now. But, boy, he started to come on in camp about two weeks ago. We just started to see him flash in practice. And to come from the fifth round and and be getting some first-team reps, I mean, that's pretty remarkable, especially considering, you know, that we haven't seen that same kind of emergence from Chad Thomas, the yeah. third-round pick. We just we haven't seen it. Uh, the the way that we have seen it in Jannard Avery. I mean, he has just taken the bull by the horns. You wrote a really nice story about him. I hope everybody gets a chance to read that on cleveland.com. Um, but he's somebody that has just shot up the depth chart. And another one I would like to mention is Terrence Mitchell. And, you know, Terrence Mitchell was not in the starting lineup at the start of camp. It was T.J. Carey. And Terrence Mitchell went out there and grabbed the starting job. And not only that, uh, he's been coming on strong in terms of in practice, getting turnovers. A lot of people, a lot of you may have seen the fight with Jarvis Landry on yeah. Hard Knocks. That started because he aggressively tried to rip the ball out of Jarvis's hands, and you're going to see more of that on the football field from Terrence Mitchell this year. Yeah, him and him and Jarvis have been battling constantly mm-hmm. to get. Like you said, we we saw that on Hard Knocks. But anyone who who had been out at camp watching those two. Every time one-on-ones came up, it was Jarvis versus Terrence Mitchell. Uh, and I'm glad Hard Knocks captured that one moment in one-on-ones where, where Mitchell kind of followed Landry and, and was yeah. talking to him. Yeah. Um, th- those two have been going at each other and really bringing out the best in each other. And we've seen it. Jarvis Landry makes these ridiculous catches. That, yep. You know, if you're a corner and you cover like that, most other receivers aren't making those catches. Um, so it, it's just you know, one side of the ball making the other side better. You know who else has flashed in this camp, Dan? And he's a favorite of yours and has been for a long time. Do you know who who I'm about to say? No. Body Calhoun. Yes. Okay. He he has flashed in this camp, and he's gotten playing time, and he looks good, and he's versatile. He can play some safety for you. He can play nickel. He can play corner. Uh, he can do a lot of things, and uh, he's somebody that – you know, that he, he's been making plays both in practice and in the games. He had the interception, and, uh, and he's somebody to keep an eye on. Yeah, and, and he's a guy that was starting to show a little bit of that versatility last year. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought he was, he was really good 
as a run stopper last year, kind of out of nowhere, uh, really embraced that role uh, but and started to play a little bit more safety last year. And that's one of the things you watch for, right? The guys that are left over, if they stay up the depth chart, it means that this new regime, this coaching staff, they, re- they really like these guys. Um, let's get on to this next question, and it is a coaching question from Austin. Uh, Austin Sternlicht, I guess we're going to say. Mm-hmm. What's the fewest amount of wins that Hugh needs to keep his job? Um, that's always a tough question for me to answer, to, to just put a win total on it. Yeah, obviously you can't go zero and sixteen again or one and fifteen, but right. Um, I, I mean, is there a number in your mind that you think would just wouldn't be palatable for John Dorsey? You know what? I don't. Uh, you know what? And I, is, sh- I shouldn't even say that because it's not John Dorsey's no, decision for for Jimmy Haslam. I agree with you. It's a hard question to answer because I don't know if the number is the right thing. I mean, you have to uh, take the season at it as it comes and see what happens. I would think that they. They would like to see at least five to six victories this season. I mean, if it's three victories, I think it's going to be hard uh, to continue on. But if it's the five, six, seven, right now, somebody asked me yesterday, what's the uh, the range for the Browns right now, the floor and the ceiling um, for, for losses, you know, I mean, for victories? I put it at about five for the floor and eight for the ceiling. I, that's where I think that's the yeah, fall I think that's a good number. somewhere in there. Um, if they go anywhere below that, I think it would be hard to, to maintain the status quo. But you have to remember that they really kind of have, have set the reset button here. And I think that Jimmy and Dee has them recognized that they put Hugh Jackson behind the eight ball over the last couple of years with not enough talent and especially not a good enough quarterback to get the job done. And I don't think that, they're, that they have him on a short leash. I just don't think they do. Yeah, and, you know, I do think – I think the spotlight is more on him now than it would have been the last couple of years based on the decision they made. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you go five and eleven and show progress, win a division game or two, six and ten, I, I think they can justify maybe bringing him back. Um, you know, there, there's always things that play into it as well, injuries, things like that. Um, but he's got two quarterbacks. He's got more talent. He's got a better receiving core. You assume Josh Gordon is going to be out there now all year. Um, the defense should be better. So, I mean, I think you want to get to at least, you know, I think the, Vegas has them at five and a half. I think you'd like to get to that five, six win total and then maybe see them steal a game or two to get to seven. But I, I don't know if there's a real number to put on it. No, and here's the other thing. I really do believe that they think that Baker Mayfield is going to take them to the promised land. And he's he might not play much this year. So I yeah. don't know I don't know if anybody's looking at this as the year. I think next year is the year that they're going to look at it as okay, now we're going to try to contend for a playoff spot and get there and make some noise once we get there. And so I you know, I think this is kind of the first year in this new regime, the John Dorsey, Hugh Jackson regime. And and I, I think that Jimmy and D will exercise patience this year regardless of what happens, unless of course everything falls apart and they win, you know, one or two games. Aside from that, I think the status quo will be intact. Or or if you can point to the Browns lost this game because of a decision Hugh Jackson made. If you can do that repeatedly over and over again, which is a real possibility. I know a lot of people out there would could, would already go through the 31 losses and, and point to things. Um, if, if you can do that, that's also something that would come back to haunt 
to you as well. He's he's got to prove that he can be that type of coach that can win games for his team and make decisions that will help his team win games. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting this year to see how he actually really does handle not calling the offense and uh, you know how much blame is he going to get on the play calling? You know, in the game the other night, for instance, they called four pass plays into the end zone from the one. Yeah, and they did not end up scoring. Now, of course, when you look at that game, they didn't have Josh Gordon, they didn't have Antonio Callaway, um, so you know it may have been ill-advised to call four pass plays into the end zone from the one, considering that they had rushed for more than fifty yards on the first two plays of that drive. But how, you know, I wonder how that's going to go. You know, will you be able to blame him for some of the things that happen offensively this year if they don't go well? Yeah, that's that relationship and that dynamic is going to be uh, very interesting. This, there's a lot going on this year on, on, on this coaching staff. Um, there was a question about set to valve again uh, and Dan Vitale. This person, R. Clark333, says, Please tell me DeValve and Vitale have no chance of taking two roster spots. Well, they do have a chance of taking two roster spots. And I, I would be surprised if Vitale wasn't on the roster um, as a fullback. And we've already talked about DeValve. Um, question about the O linemen uh, which ones will make the final 53? So. We, we actually had some spirited discussions about this in the media room not that long ago. So we know the, the first five, right? Batonio right. at left tackle, Corbett at left guard, Treader at center, uh, Zeitler, who is back now at right guard, yep. and then at right tackle you have Chris Hubbard. Behind them, that's where it gets interesting, how they kind of formulate the rest of that group. Uh, Spencer Drango's been getting a lot of playing time, of course. Desmond Harrison has been moving up. Greg Robinson is around. Sean Coleman's still around. Uh, that that's an interesting group to keep an eye on behind the starting five that we already know. Yeah, it, it is interesting because, you know, you obviously need a swing guy that can play all the different spots. I mean, you have to have somebody that can play center. You, yeah. know, you have to have somebody that can step in there and play center for you. But Desmond Harrison, they really like him. He's currently the backup left tackle and they do have high hopes for him he's an undrafted rookie come kind of coming out of nowhere and they like him so uh, he's going to make the team they cannot even though he's a rookie they cannot try to stash him away on the practice squad because um, I think the little secret is out on Desmond Harrison in terms of the potential that they think he has Greg Robinson you know I don't know about that one he he has actually uh, been the second team right tackle ahead of Sean Coleman and the third team left tackle, so he's somebody that they might decide to keep around. And then, you know, then again, they do have to have that swing guy that can play everything. Um, so, is it Spencer Drango? Probably at this point. That means that Sean Coleman could very well be on the bubble. He started 14 games at right tackle last year, and he could be out of a job. He's a third team right tackle right now, and um, you know, it just even even Hugh Jackson you know, could not guarantee today that he is going to have a job. So, you know, that's another one of those high picks that came from the Sashi Brown era. Not only that, he was in the from whence they came group (laughs) in the Carson Wentz trade. And uh, those guys probably have two strikes against them when it comes to roster decisions. Uh, Yeah, Sean Coleman, his fall has been, I mean, he opened camp as the starting left tackle and now he's the third string right tackle. It's hard to see him kept around. It'll be interesting to see what they do if they keep two tackles, Greg Robinson and and Desmond Harrison, or if they go with, um, you know, center is kind of where it's tough. 
Um, you know, J.C. Treader has had injury history. Yeah. He was healthy last year. They're hoping he'll be healthy again this year, but he's had that injury history. Could Corbett play center? Maybe. Um, you know, it was nice when you had a guy like John Greco who you could just slide over to play center, yeah. and you knew he could handle it. But uh, I, the the answer there, outside of if they wanted to keep Austin Ryder, is not super obvious. You know, I think it would maybe be Corbett, but it, it we don't know for sure based on what we're looking at. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is um, Austin Ryder can probably go back on the practice squad. I don't know for sure about that. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to look at his eligibility to see if he could go back on, on the practice squad because I think, he, yeah, I don't know. There is a <laughs> chance. We don't know the answer to that right now. But um, but you've got Austin Ryder and you've got Anthony Fabiano who can both play center. Uh, so you're going to have to find somebody that could step in for J.C. Treader. Somebody's got to be able to do that. Uh, so that will factor into the offensive line decisions. Um, okay, let's move on to, uh, to another question here. Uh, this comes from Joe in Nashville. Do you think the Browns will try to ride Carlos Hyde until the wheels fall off, or can Nick Chubb be the lead dog at year's end? So Carlos Hyde, by the way, has looked pretty good the last two games as this team's starting running back. Yeah, I think Carlos Hyde starts out as the uh, the lead workhorse in the beginning of the season, but they'll mix Nick Chubb in there. I mean, you've got to keep running backs healthy and fresh. And, you know, let's see how they're going to use Duke Johnson. He really hasn't uh, been used in the passing game that much this preseason. I keep looking out there and thinking, where is Duke? And, um, you know, maybe they're just kind of keeping him under wraps a little bit until until the season because they know exactly what he can do. But he really hasn't made much of an impact yet in this offense. And the times that we have seen him run the ball, uh, he can do that very well too. He's a never-say-die runner and uh, – you know, and I, you know, he could get some carries. So I, I think they'll mix it up pretty good. They've got enough to work with there, and uh, I, I think that you'll see all those guys get playing time. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think we're gonna see, a, you know, Carlos Hyde carry the ball twenty-five times a game. You know, every single game. I, I think Nick Chubb's gonna get a lot of work. It is interesting you brought up Duke. Like you said, we haven't seen a ton of him. Um, you know, I think this has the potential to be a big year for Duke Johnson, but we don't quite know how Todd Haley's going to use him yet. Right. Uh, there was kind of a, a funny practice moment where, you know, the running backs were going to go through their drills. Uh, this was last week, I think. And Duke started to run off to go do wide receiver drills. Yeah. And Freddie Kitchens kind of looked at him like where he was going, and Duke kind of walked back, did his rep as a running back, and then ran over and did the wide receiver drill. So that's that's kind of how Duke is spending his time. Yeah, and when uh, I remember asking Freddie Kitchens, uh, the running backs coach, about Duke lobbying, who, um, fitting word to use that, because you were the first person that wrote that, uh, that he was lobbying to be a wide receiver this year. Um, and Freddie Kitchens, you know, said, I think he's just uh, pulling your guys' chain, basically, is what he's trying to do there. He said he's a running back. So Freddie Kitchens is trying to hang on to Duke Johnson, keep him in that running back room. But, again, it will be very interesting to see how Todd Haley uses him because we haven't seen him featured in the passing game the way we have in the past. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm looking up the practice squad rules, by the way, and I think there is a way they could put him on the practice squad. I think it's a little complicated, but I think there is a way they could do it. But somebody who can read the CBA better than I can. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've tried to figure this out over and over again. Yeah, I mean, if you do that, you know, then, then you've got somebody that you can call up pretty quickly in the event that you need him 
but I, I don't know. We'll have to see how that <laughs> don't, one goes. Don't quote us on that one. Yeah, don't. Um, let's see here. Working through here. Okay. So Kid Carmel says, by his analysis, uh, both you and I have mentioned Baker Mayfield approximately four times more than the Browns' starting quarterback, Terod Taylor. Uh, I'd like to see this spreadsheet, but okay. Granted, Baker Mayfield was the first pick, but still, will this trend continue during the season? And if so, why? Won't it be a stretch to write something each week on someone not playing? Um, You know, I, I think a big piece of it is Baker Mayfield was the number one pick, and he is a very intriguing player. People want to know what's going on with Baker Mayfield. Fox just had, uh, I believe it was the most watched preseason game in a long time. I'm going to have to look it up, but it was one of their most watched preseason games ever on Thursday night. And that was because of number six. I mean, now look, when the games start and he's not playing, there's not going to be anything to write about him. But right now, especially when we were able to watch practice every day, you know, and every minute of practice, yep. Baker Mayfield is going to be a story. Yep. You know what? Baker Mayfield is the future of the Cleveland Browns. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. He's the number one overall pick. And they have said numerous times he's the future of this football team. Everyone knows what Tyrod Taylor is. People can say exactly what they want about the fact that maybe he'll be here long term, but he the only way he's going to be here long-term is if he doesn't want to be the starting quarterback somewhere anymore. If he wants to start, he's not going to be here, okay? Because Baker Mayfield is going to take over this football team, and he's going to take it over pretty soon, I think. Uh, He will be the starter next year, and he might even be the starter at some point this year. Uh, Now, they hope that doesn't happen. They hope that Tyrod Taylor can go in there and hold down this offense and do what he did in Buffalo last year, which is snap that long 17-year playoff drought. But the truth of the matter is he's got a number one pick breathing down his neck who has never taken no for an answer from anyone. He didn't take the answer of no at Texas Tech when he was a walk-on. He didn't take it at Oklahoma when he was a walk-on. And he's not going to take it here. He's going to continue to work his tail off. He's keeping his mouth shut, which I think is great. He's saying the right things, doing the right things. But he's getting better, and we're seeing that before our very eyes. So he is the story, he is the future, and I have no qualms about spending a lot of time focusing on the future of the Cleveland Browns franchise. Yeah, this is from uh, Sports Media Watch. Um, If I can find this paragraph here. Outside of the NFL Hall of Fame game, the Browns 5-0 win was the most watched weeknight preseason telecast on any network in four years. Wow. And you want to know when that this is this is the, my favorite part since Cleveland Washington on ESPN four years ago. Do you remember that Monday? Night I remember game? that game. Yes, I do remember that, <laughs> that game. That was the somebody. That flipped. was the infamous Johnny Manziel finger game. Yeah, I was just going to say somebody <laughs> flipped the bird in that game, didn't they? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you have it. Uh, Baker moves the needle in the same way that Johnny Manziel did, and you know those guys have almost a cult following. They are a little bit larger than life. First-round picks, Heisman Trophy winners, almost the same size. Um, (laughs) The good news is Baker actually looks like he can play. Yes, Baker really does look like he can play. The Browns are so excited about him. And again, I think at some point this season you'll see him in there. And these are our last opportunities to actually see him in practice and in games 
and we are feeding the beast. Yeah, well, and, you know, the other part of it, too, the, the Terod Taylor part of it is, you know, I think it's interesting that he hasn't really been featured that much in Hard Knocks. I just don't think he seeks that out, for no, one thing. No, he doesn't. Um, but the other part of it is, he played, what, two series in the first preseason game, a mm-hmm. couple series in the second one, yep. got hurt in the third one, so we didn't see a ton of him. Right. Um, th- he's just, there hasn't been a whole lot there yet. Pittsburgh, when they play Pittsburgh on September 9th? Right. Trust me, there'll be plenty about Terod Taylor because exactly. he will be the starting quarterback for that game, and unless he gets hurt, he'll be the starting quarterback for a while. So exactly. he, he'll have we'll have plenty of time to write about Terod Taylor. Exactly. And again, uh, you know, you, you go where uh, just like a team goes where the the hot hand is when it's got a running back uh, in the media biz. You go where <laughs> the hot story is, and Baker Mayfield moves the needle, and you just can't deny that. Okay, Sam, this will be our last one here, I believe. Sam has a question about Jarvis Landry, and it sort of pertains to Baker Mayfield. So uh, he asks, if Jarvis is as good as we all think he is, do you feel the Browns are going to stretch the field and allow him those deep passes like Odell Beckham Jr. and Antonio Brown? And if they are limited by Terod's timidness to go deep, which is something he, you know, that that is carried over with him from Buffalo... Uh, the second part of the question is, should that mean that Baker Mayfield plays soon? So let's answer that first part first, uh, how the Browns will use Jarvis Landry. Well, first of all, he is going to be starting on the outside for now. But I think that could evolve as time goes on. If you've got Josh Gordon and you've got Antonio Callaway, um, I mean, especially in three wides, those guys are going to be on the outside and then Jarvis will be in the slot. Yeah. Uh, so and, and I, so I think also sometimes in two wides, they might end up going Jordan and Antonio Callaway just because. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. I don't necessarily know that they're going to go deep a bunch to Jarvis Landry. I don't know if that, that will serve him that well. I don't know if that will serve Tyrod that well doing it that way. So we'll just have to see how how that evolves over time because, again, he will start the season on the outside opposite Josh Gordon, and he will be expected to go deep, and Tyrod will be expected to throw deep to him at times. Um, So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, You know, I I was a little bit concerned, not, not, not a great concern, but the first team offense in 11 series, you know, only produced two touchdowns. Yeah. The passing game didn't really get going outside of that first game. Right. And I think that was due in part to the fact that, I mean, let's just look at the last game. They didn't have Josh Gordon and Antonio Callaway, two of their top three wide receivers, in that game. And I think that makes a difference. Um, But nevertheless, two touchdowns in 11 series really isn't enough. And, you know, they've got to be scoring at a greater clip than that. So it's going to be incumbent upon Tyrod Taylor uh, to get those touchdown passes rolling. Yeah, and in and, and Taylor's defense, too, when he was in Buffalo, he didn't have a Josh Gordon. Right. And he didn't have a, a burner like Antonio Callaway. He had Sammy Watkins, but he was hurt, and obviously they traded him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he can do with a, a new group of receivers. As far as the Jarvis element, I think we saw an example the other night of that quick little pass to the sideline and that right. spin move he put on the defender. That's what Jarvis does really, really well. And, right. and that's a that's a skill set that you want to take advantage of, those quick passes, and let him make people miss. And and let's see how Tyrod does in throwing the ball down the field. Because, again, 
uh, the word out of Buffalo and in, you know, throughout his three years as a starter there was that he was reluctant not just to go deep but to go over the middle on some things. Now, I've seen him do it here, and he's made some really nice plays that way, and I'm sure he'll try to find David Njoku on a lot of those plays yeah. over the middle. But um, you know, he's, he does have to demonstrate that he's willing to do those things. I don't think we really have seen the offense that we're going to see on opening day against Pittsburgh. No, and that's the thing to remember about preseason. We're not seeing right. People don't want to show a lot. If they if they do show something, there's a purpose behind it. Right. Um, otherwise, they don't really want to show anything. Okay. So that is the last question that I came across here as submitted to us via Twitter. So thanks to everyone for submitting those, so we can have something to talk about here on uh, the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Again, make sure make sure you are subscribed uh, on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all of that stuff. I think we I think we hit on everything, Mary Kay. I think we did. All right. Browns play Thursday night in mm-hmm. Detroit, and we should see some Baker Mayfield, so that's good news. Yes, we will see Baker. Our, our friend who tweeted me the question. <laughs> no, Baker, that's Baker, good Baker. news for us. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.